Hi, I'm Tara. And I'm Steph. And we're from Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors. And our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. With Kobo Writing Life, authors can now publish audiobooks and ebooks right in their KWL account. We don't ask for exclusivity and you'll always control your pricing in up to 16 currencies. You can also create a pre-order for your audio and ebooks with no date limitations. We have a lot of great promotional opportunities for Kobo Writing Life authors available in the promotions tab right in their KWL dashboard. If you're an author and you don't have access to the promotions or audiobooks tab, email us at writinglife@kobo.com and we'll get you sorted. We're all about providing excellent support. Create your free account today at kobo.com/writinglife. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life, check out our blog, podcast, and find us on social. Happy writing! J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker and indie powerhouses Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where do they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories. All have tips and secrets. What does it take to consistently top the best seller lists and become a household name? Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's Inc. So what did you Google again? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm working on uh, a project. Um, I I jumped on Google and I typed in how to make C4 at home. Um, you know, like any good author would do, because I want to make sure I get the, the facts right. And, and honestly, I was surprised by how many results actually came up. You were? <laughs> just how, yeah, and, I was say, really? <laughs> well, I've, I've got a copy of um, something called the Anarchist, Anarchist Cookbook. cookbook. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like I've got an old print copy of that that was like Xerox and stapled together that I, I've had since like 1980, something <laughs> like that's been around forever. Um, but yeah, like I, I just I haven't done that kind of thing recently. And like there's YouTube videos and like these instructions are so freaking detailed. And I honestly have no clue if whatever you know what they're telling me in these instructions would actually explode or not you know because like (laughs) i'm looking at the ingredients i'm like i i guess maybe sort of like i I know if you combine you know like bleach and ammonia you can you can poison the air like there's all kinds of crazy things like that but like you know for all i know it 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 tells you how to make gelatin but yeah so like i was just thinking i typed that in on google and like as soon as i hit enter i'm thinking like well who actually sees that on google side and how long before somebody shows up on my front door and if they don't if they don't show up at my front door, like how common is that, you know, where they just totally disregard it? <laughs> so. Please tell me you're using like an incognito window or a Tor browser or something. Were you logged in no, to your account? Not at all. <laughs> no, I, you know, and I've got Tor on my computer, but it's just too slow. <laughs> and I, don't, I don't know if it's just because I'm a little, I've gotten a little bit older, but like at this point, I just don't care. You know, like if yeah. somebody knocks on my door, like I'll just explain it, but otherwise, whatever. <laughs> Here's my real question. Like knowing you well enough now and knowing how you're brain works like are you already thinking like man if i get this wrong i'm gonna get like a bad review and someone's gonna say no you don't put that ingredient in a c4 for like are you gonna build one and try it to make sure this is actually legit i i may have to because my wife is still out of town so i've got the house to myself <laughs> <laughs> like i'm pretty sure she'd stop me when she caught me you know, just going in the kitchen mixing up random ingredients but like i've, I've got free reign in the place right now so i might have to give just, it a shot whenever you're gonna set it off just get like as close as you can to that bad neighbor's house <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know if we've talked about this on the air at all, but like in um, Fifth to Die, I, I had somebody who was killed using a, a blood pressure medication called lisinopril. 
um, that somebody snuck it in their coffee um, and it basically lowered their blood pressure to the point of where they, they stroked out and it, and it killed them. Um, and like, I know that actually works because I, I'm on blood pressure medication. I take lisinopril and you know, like when they first put me on it, I was overweight and like I was out of shape. Um, and like I was on it for a couple of years and like my blood pressure was slowly creeping down, but like my wife changed my diet completely. I started exercising like a fiend. So like it, my blood pressure naturally came down, but we never changed my dosage. Um, and like my blood pressure got to the point where like I, I literally passed out. Like I, I stood up and just like fell over and like my wife called 911. They came out like my blood pressure was, you know, like on the floor. Um, and, and they're like, you know, you, you probably don't need the medication anymore. So they, they, they nixed it after that. But like that, that just got me thinking. So like I, I put that in the book because I figured it's kind of a cool, unique way to, to kill somebody. And like probably half the book signings that I did for that, that particular title, somebody in the audience would stand up and say, hey, I'm a nurse and you got the dosage wrong. <laughs> and they would they would explain to me all the reasons why it wouldn't work and like and I purposely changed the dosage because I didn't want to put actual you know like an, an instruction manual in, in one of my novels like on how to kill somebody with a blood pressure medication so I skewed everything but like yeah you get the, the moral of the story is you get called out on on all that kind of stuff if you if you get it right or if you get it wrong it, it doesn't matter somebody gets pissed off <laughs> this is my favorite anyway. opening to a writer's ink episode ever. <laughs> <laughs> We had like the shortest pre-talk ever because you start. I was like, no, you like we let's just hit record. We <laughs> have to talk about record. this on the air. Well, all the cool stuff seems to happen before we hit the record button. It's like we we all don't talk. tell people that. Oh, that's that's <laughs> the behind the scenes stuff. Like we sh- we should charge admission for that. Like we we usually go on five ten minutes or whatever, and like that's where all the good stuff happens. And then we're like, okay, let's start recording. It could be a new Patreon tier. Maybe. Oh yeah, God, listen, I'm just in. you know what? I'm just gonna start recording as soon as I get into the room. It's just gonna be recording just. From the very beginning. <laughs> then we'll decide later when the episode starts. There you go. Well, I was going to open with Amazon purchasing MGM. Like, they finalized that. But I guess that's oh. probably not quite as strong. But um, <laughs> Not <yeah>. now. <laughs> not anymore. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's honestly, that's, you know, obviously huge news, too. You know, like, they've got access now to that entire MGM catalog. So we're going to see James Bond movies popping up on the Amazon Prime feeds. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm loving all this. Like, Batman is out right now in the theater. And, like, I'm totally fine with waiting for this to show up in my house on one of the streaming services I'm already paying for. Um, yeah, because you have a theater. Of course yeah. you are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing like most people are probably cool with, with doing that now too low. Like, yeah. It, I'm, I'm just messing for sure. Yeah. I mean, even paying like 20 bucks to see it or whatever, but like at this point, like I, I, I need to get the streaming services in check because I keep signing up and then I forget, you know, so like I'm subscribed to like 20 different ones at this point, you know, like, and some that I will never use. Like I, we got one called like Tubo or something. That's like a kid's cartoon that my daughter signed up for like months ago. And yeah, so I, I need to rein that in too. But, um, yeah, I'm off the rails here. MGM purchased by Amazon. <laughs> what are you guys doing? What do you? <laughs> I don't even know how to follow that. I don't either. Uh, I'm a. Yeah, I don't know. Like I got so I got my book to my editor this week, and I've been I I've really just been focusing on client work. So I'm my uh, my wife and my daughter are going to be out of town part of next week. <clears throat> so I'm kind of. Uh, just preparing. I'll probably, I'm going to clean out our garage while they're gone. <laughs> so, and I'll also have my book back from my editor by then probably. So I'm just, uh, she works pretty fast. So I'll probably just be putting time aside for that. And then I'm going to really try those for a couple of days to not even work. So I can just like do stuff around the house while the little one's gone. So, um, my week's been pretty uneventful so far. So nice. Nice. Yeah, I get my uh, my new websites up. So I've been working with a, a branding company for six months, seven months now, and 
uh, finally got that up. That's the authorlife.com one, and uh, the fiction one is going to be next, but this one needed to be done. It was it was dated. Uh, it looked terrible. I did it myself. That's about all you need to know <laughs> about it. Wow. So uh, that, w- that was good to kind of get that in place. It's like 97, 98% done. There's a few little things on there, but it looks... Uh, significantly better and uh, definitely definitely great for moving forward so that was that was a kind of a nice win for me this week i'm kind of caught in the the amazon hell that you guys were in a couple of months back so oh, no. I, i'm on the board with itw and um you know they, they've got a lot of anthologies they put out over the years and you know we the board got uh, got to talking about this and you know we just decided well let's go ahead and take those short stories that are in those anthologies put them up on um you know amazon for you know a couple bucks a piece you know because we've got you know lee child we've got karen slaughter we've got you know greg Hurwitz, we've got anybody you can possibly think of we've got um the tricky part of that is first of all we had to track down all the contracts from you know the original publication date and some of these anthologies really date back and you know membership turns over and this and that um but now we've got them up on amazon in kdp and you know we're, we're getting the slew of emails back from amazon telling us why we can't publish these yet because we have to prove you know because it's basically itw publishing under multiple authors names so for each one we have to, to prove that we're able to do that um and i'm getting like these canned responses so like it yep. feels like I'm, I'm talking to a person i think um but you know they're they're not really answering any of the questions that we send back i get like a cut and paste of you know some paragraph from somewhere you know e- each time so yeah so that's fun did you did you guys ever work that out did you did you get it all done I so I was the one who was dealing with this. I got one too. I'll go after you. Uh, <laughs> uh, you. Yeah, you do. That's right. Yeah, I. Um, funny enough, I got so frustrated with it and had so much other stuff going on in my life that I just gave up. <laughs> and I'm. I'm. And I actually. Uh, um, that's something I'm going to do next week. I have a day on my calendar next week where I'm going to get someone on the phone and take care of it because. Um, it was just a thing. I was like, dude, this sucks. Like, I just don't. But I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it taken care of finally. So I hope. I hope that, it, like, you know, my whole thing with Gustav Klimt, the painter that they think wrote my book, I'm just like. Oh, yeah, the, the wrote books two and three in the series, right? Or, or is a book. No, they let me publish books two and three, right. but will not let me publish book one or the box set. Right. That oh, makes which, sense. Which sucks because, like, <laughs> books two and three are hanging out there and there's no freaking book one. Well, so. Gustav's awesome. I love his stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah he's, he's a great he's a great uh back in the 1800s he wrote a great uh post-apocalyptic book that takes place in nashville in 2018 apparently <laughs> so you got to get those pre-orders out there oh <laughs> yeah i had my own uh volley with acx going on this week trying to get them to pull a couple of audiobooks down uh oh, yeah. we had the, we had the narrator email i emailed like 17 times and i would keep getting the same response like we don't have a record of this email on the account i'm like i'm emailing from the one on finally like i think yesterday i finally got through to someone who said that they were and again i thought exactly like we've already pulled books two and three we're still working on book one i'm like what do you mean working on it you either pull it or you don't <laughs> like it's a click right like are they running around to, uh, like people's phones and deleting it off? Like, what are they doing? I don't understand. Like, no, it's. I, I was talking yesterday to a buddy because I'm. I don't know if you guys know this. We won't go too deep into it now, but like, you know, if you're in a royalty share deal, I, I have several from way back when that are about to come up. But I didn't realize that when you royalty like because those are seven year deals, ACX doesn't like automatically tell you that that they're over and then start giving you royalties. Like you actually have to come up with a side deal with your narrator to get out of it and then hit up ACX and they will 
they pull your books down, you lose all your reviews, and then you have to repost them with you with you having the rights and with the files and stuff. And I'm like, my buddy was telling me the whole process, and I was just like, oh my, I had like it's so archaic. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm like, I'm not looking forward to it, you know. So you guys were on the royalty share thing. Like yeah, he, for this, he did. yeah. Okay. So I, I have a, I have a series that I'm on a royalty share with my narrator. Gotcha. That, okay. that, and I'm a the first book published in like 2015. So I think this year sometime I'm getting the rights. I'm gonna start getting that seven years gonna start being up. So, um, but now I have to decide like, is it worth at this point losing all the reviews? Yeah, I mean, couldn't you just let it ride under the? It's it's the same deal, right? If you let here's it ride. the other problem though. So, and um. I don't know if you guys realize this. I, you know, I, and this is gonna be the last year I do my own taxes. Like I'm getting, I'm actually gonna get an accountant because my stuff's getting too complicated. But this last year, ACX, when the 1099s we got had all your narrators' money on it. So like for the royalty share deals I was in, I had to go through and figure out for those books individually, like how much he made so I could 1099 him. And so I want all that stuff gone <laughs> so that I just own all my stuff and don't have to mess with any of that. So that's like another big part of it for me. That's, um, I think that's like an industry norm because I've got a, a number of books that I've, I've co-authored and like I, you know, the, the 1099 that I get has the total on there. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't take out like my agents, you know, percentage, like none of that stuff is, is on there. So like, I have to explain to my accountant that I only received X percent of, of each of these. And like, he's got to make a note in the system for that. Um, you know, like I'm getting paid the total amount, but then I'm basically paying my agent after that happens, you know, from a tax standpoint. So it's almost like she's an employee. So yeah, it gets, it gets really confusing. Here's the difference though, is that ACX already is paying out to to the narrator and uh and they already have their tax information and all this stuff in their system so like why can't they just send them their own 1099 that says you made this the author made this instead of like putting all that on mine and then making me have to 1099 write off what i paid them and all that stuff Oh, I'm just going to stop paying taxes. That's, that's, that's <laughs> well, now you're on another list. <laughs> no, like now you're come come with me to the dark side. Just get into crypto. It's totally free money. Yeah. <laughs> Not anymore. But Mr. Biden just put out some type of executive order. They're going to start policing that stuff. Well, that's they're, good news. They're coming after you. No, that that's really good news because what that's basically saying is like it's legitimizing it. And because there are some people who were thinking like, you know, the government was going to be like China and just shut it down. But uh, there's too much money at stake. So that's it's good that's news good for news. you because you're not over there building bombs. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, so. I've been on the the other side of that. When I worked in finance, I had to work with the, the government regulators, you know, like when the Patriot Act came out, you know, like 911 happened and then they put the Patriot Act out and they literally monitored like anything over three thousand dollars. We had to report to all these different agencies and like that, that those dollars were tracked, you know, like there, there was no way to move that kind of thing around. And that's that's what's going to really happen with crypto. Um, and I, and I know the latest law they're trying to throw through there is, um, I think $600 are like moving that threshold down. Um, and what kills me is like at the moment, I think they tell the public that it's 
nine thousand dollars. So like if you send a wire for anything over nine thousand dollars, you're, you're going to get flagged. But it's actually three thousand dollars, and I'm not in finance anymore. So let them come and yell at me for telling people that, um, you know. But like yeah, that, that's what's really going to happen with crypto. It's going to allow the government to you know just one more thing that they can track, and you know they're they're going to be watching every one of those dollars or cryptos or NFTs or whatever those, currency is those called. Cryptos. <laughs> yeah, whatever. The government's going to be watching the cryptos. <laughs> whatever the kids are using these days to pay for their their lattes. I I don't know. All right. Well, we, better we got a lot questions. of good questions. Yeah. So let's All knock right. out some. Uh, uh, before we do that, I just want to yeah. remind everybody that uh, this is the last episode of March, which means it's your last chance to get in on the Kobo e-reader giveaway. Just leave a comment on the episode. It can be about crypto or building bombs, whatever you want. Uh, and you can be eligible to win a Kobo, Kobo Clara HD. So thanks to our good friends at Kobo for sponsoring that giveaway this month. And with that, I'll turn it over to Zach for uh, non-bomb related, non-crypto questions. All right, let's. We got we got some good ones this month, so uh, we'll start with this one from Chris Wills, which is probably for JD. Um, which it, this is for JD. Um, do you think it's easier to sell a completed manuscript or screenplay, assuming the same quality and all other things being equal? You mean like one or the other? Um, yeah, I, I think that's what he's asking. Do you think it's easier to sell a completed manuscript or, or screenplay? Yeah. I think it's way hard to sell a screenplay from from what I've heard. Um, I, I've never actually tried it. Um, like I, I know, like if if I write a book, I know I can sell that book and I will make money off of that book. Um, but I know a lot of people that write screenplays where they they you know they get them done, they send them around to a couple people in Hollywood, and then they end up in a desk drawer somewhere and, and forgotten because you can't you can't monetize that if it doesn't actually get made or somebody doesn't buy it. You can't turn it into an ebook. You can't turn it into an audio book. Um, so if I had to do one or the other, I, I would stick with the novels just because I know that that's a, you know, a source of income. There's a way to monetize it. Um, screenplays, I, I don't know of a way to, to do that. Um, we'll see. Follow up. Jenny, are there people who would, who would purchase screenplays to read them in that format? Not that I know of other than other uh, screenwriters. You know, like there's a you know a lot of scripts change hands. You know, just because of that. You know, like I I've, I've got a whole stack in my office right now of of you know big movies that I like. You know, just because I wanted to see the format, I wanted to see how they they wrote out particular things and, and stuff like that. Um, I, I I like reading screenplays. Like once you get used to it, it it's kind of cool because you knock out you know more or less you knock out an entire book or a movie in you know less than an hour um, when you read through it. So it's kind of nice once you get used to the the format of it. Um, I don't know. I mean, you, I wouldn't be surprised at some point if, if somebody does, you know, maybe come up with a way to do that. Turn them into ebooks, sell them for two ninety nine or something, just put them out there, or maybe a website that just has screenplays available, you know, where people from Hollywood could go to and, and you know, type in a couple of keywords and get a list of availables. I, who knows? But at this point, I know you can make money make, writing a book. I'd stick with that. In my head now, I think about <clears throat> Jay like talking about reading transcripts for a podcast. I could see you doing that for movies. Like I watched 250 movies this year just because you read the screenplays. <laughs> well, People were like, oh, up, what about this scene? You're like, I don't know. I read it. What <laughs> ends up happening, I might like, you know, aside from the, the one that I'm writing, you know, like I've got a lot of projects that are, that are in the works and, you know, they're talking to a lot of screenwriters. So they'll, they'll have a meeting with one and then they'll send me like five scripts from that person and, you know, get back to us by Tuesday. Let us know what you think of this guy or this girl, um, like that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I end up going through a lot of them because of that. So we'll go to this question next from uh, Holger. Uh, and, and Jay, I'll, I'll pitch this to you. I'll, if you don't have any thoughts, we'll go to – this is probably more of a JD question, but you might have some thoughts. Um, what are the arguments you check when deciding to pitch to a publisher versus publishing yourself? Uh, I'll give a real quick response and turn it over to JD because he kind of taught me this. Like I, I don't – there is no one or the other. I, 
I approach every project now to the highest degree of quality I can. Um, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't think like, well, if I pitch this to a publisher and it doesn't go anywhere, then I'll self-publish. Um, I want that. I want that to be the absolute best manuscript I can, I can possibly create. And so that doesn't change my process. Well, since I told Jay that, I totally agree with that <laughs> complete statement. <laughs> well, maybe got... to think about like factors you consider if there are any, like, should I publish, should I just publish this myself or should I pitch this to an agent? Well, the, the way I look at it, well, I've got a, you know, a contract with Kristen, so she actually gets first right of refusal on on everything that I write um, and gets to take it out there. So she would basically have to take a, a novel out there and, you know, get a deal on it or get no deal on it or whatever. And, and I'm allowed to say no, but, you know, she gets the opportunity to do that. And I think, pr you know, pretty much all agents have that. So if you have an agent, you're going to have to go that route. Um, and like Jay said, like I, I write everything as if it's going to, you know, sell to Penguin Random House tomorrow. You know, like it's, it's got to be that kind of quality, you know, whether I'm going to indie publish it or not. Like indie publishing to me has never been a plan B. Um, not from that standpoint. It's, you know, I, I weigh all the different factors, you know, from, you know, what kind of advance are they going to give me for this book? You know, is that advance worth taking the, the haircut and getting the smaller payout down the road? You know, like I don't necessarily need a big payday up front anymore. I, I can sit back and wait a couple of years for that same dollar amount to come in because it does. You know, if you wait two or three years and that book sells at a decent level, chances are you're going to earn more than that advance would have been. And then once that, you know, you get past that, you know, you end up earning more, but, you know, over the, the long haul. So, like, those are all the types of things that, that I consider. Um, but I, I run into a lot of people, and pretty much every time I give a talk, there's there's authors out there that, you know, well, I sent this manuscript that I wrote off to a bunch of different agents and nobody wanted it. I couldn't get a publisher. I think I'm going to go ahead and just self-publish it. I'm like, no, I want to just pick them up and slap them across the head and tell them never, ever even consider doing that because you aren't competing against other books like that. You're competing against the big names. You know, if, if you want to sell in any real numbers, you have to write a book that's going to be just as good as something coming out of, you know, Lee Child, Stephen King, John Sanford, any of those kind of guys. So another one here from Holger, and I know we've talked about this before, but this is always a fun one. Um, are you writing in silence or do you listen to music or sounds? If you listen to something, is it the same all the time or do you vary? And uh, what are you listening to? So Jay, you can start with that one. Yeah, I, I prefer silence. Uh, second best to silence for me is natural sounds, so thunderstorms or ocean surf. And then third would be like uh, classical music or uh, anything that does not have uh, lyrics or singing. Yeah, personally, I, I can't do silence because uh, yeah, I get distracted by absolutely everything. Like I, 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 I've considered like covering the windows in my office because, you know, a truck will drive by. I'm like, oh, and, and, <laughs> <laughs> like it, and it just it takes me out of it. But, you know, one of the things that I learned very early on, especially when I was trying to squeeze out words in between the day job is, you know, you can create a Pavlov's dog kind of scenario, you know, as a writer. So like I listen to a thunderstorm soundtrack on a constant loop when I'm when I'm writing. Um, and when I hear that sound, my brain goes, oh, OK, it's time to write. And you know, immediately throws me into that that frame of mind. So I, I wear noise canceling headphones and, and play that. You know, pretty much the six seven hours or whatever. I've got my butt in my chair, um, and you know it, it works for me now. And it worked for me then. You know, like if I had to take, you know, if I only had ten minutes at lunchtime during my real job, I would throw that sound on. You know, with my headphones and immediately jump into to writer mode, um, just like Pavlov's dog. You know, it just it just got me going and it, it you know it helped helped me get to the, over the finish line early on, and it still does. Yeah, for me, it's part of it's part of my like process of gaining getting into the chair every morning. Like part of my ritual is like having a playlist of specific music. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm different from y'all where I can listen to music with lyrics. 
Um, so I have a really long playlist. It's just called Instrumental Writing Playlist, which has a bunch of my favorite like video. It's mostly video game soundtracks, and there's some movie soundtracks stuff in there as well. Um, and then, but honestly, for me, it varies project to project. Like depending on what I work on, I find music before I start that project for the like. There's been some books I've written where like. I basically listen to the same playlist or same album every time I'm doing that record. Like Sonny and Cher. That book. Was that? <laughs> like Sonny and Cher <laughs> for Empty Bodies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's actually a system of down song called Empty Bodies, too. I found yeah. out later on. But, um, right, but so. no, but it's a. Uh, but yeah, I, I right now like uh, when I'm editing, I can only listen to instrumental stuff. But I'm writing, um, especially if I'm doing like an action scene. I mean, I have this Spotify list that's basically like 200 of my favorite like heavy metal songs, and I'll just put that on shuffle and let it go. So, I, I think you just answered the question that I, I was going to ask you because the reason I don't listen to music is because it screws with my pacing. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of movie soundtracks that I love. Like the interview with the vampire soundtrack is one of my favorites, but it goes from really slow to super fast and back and forth. That's and definitely like, a factor. Yeah. And, and my writing starts to, to mimic what I'm, what I'm listening to. So even if there's no lyrics, you know, I, I start following that pacing, but I, I, if, if you're doing what you're saying, that makes total sense. You know, you're, you're writing something fast paced. You're listening to stuff that's fast paced. You know, it gets your heart going. You know, it's, it's no different than going to the gym. You're not going to listen to something that's mellow if you're trying to get your, your heart rate up. Here, here's the one caveat with music with lyrics that I have, I can't listen to anything I haven't heard. So if like a new album comes out or something, I can't play that because then I'm paying attention. It has to be an album of music that I'm really familiar with and I can, it can just tune it out in the background and just let it go. So, um, but yeah, but I also, I, I told you guys before, I taught myself to write to music with lyrics cause I wanted to so bad. So I like just made <laughs> myself get used to it so I could do it. Now, so. Do you, not to harp on this, but do you put those playlists out there anywhere? You know, like I wrote I this thought book, about it to this. I, I have sent out to my mailing list before. Like this is what I, but I, I actually have thought about, I think that would actually be something cool to send to my mailing list Yeah. to make that more of a regular thing. Cause if they're on Spotify, I can make them public. So, um, yeah, so that's probably something I need to do a better job of, especially since you're asking, if you're asking, then it's probably a good thing to do. I honestly, like I, I write author's notes at the end of each of my books. I'd probably throw something like that in the author's note. Mm, that's a good call. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I should probably, I'm going to make a note of that. That's a good idea. Um, let's go to Don Elliott. Um, and I'll start with Jay. He's got a few questions. We'll see if we can hit these rapid fire. We got a couple more after that. Um, Jay, how do you choose the right editor? <laughs> we got a rapid fire that question. <laughs> it's like saying, how do you choose the right girlfriends? Like, um, you dude, come on. No, go to the author life.com slash editing. <laughs> you have a whole page for editors. <laughs> you know, in, in all seriousness, um, yeah. yeah, there is the author life.com slash editing. I'd highly recommend you start there. Uh, but really for me, the editor, it's a relationship. Um, yep. so what I can say is how I've never chosen an editor is scrolling through dozens of pages on a marketplace and picking someone off there. Never, ever, ever done it that way. It's always been a recommendation, word of mouth. Uh, mo most importantly, if they have a podcast. If they have a podcast or uh, a YouTube channel or some type of content marketing where I can get to know them ahead of time, that is a tremendous benefit in choosing the right editor. One of the things that I recommend to people is take a short story or the first chapter and send that same piece of writing off to all the different editors that you want to interview and see what they come back with. Um, because there, there's a lot of different things that have to mesh there. They're not just checking grammar, you know, and, and 
checking your work against the Chicago Manual of Style or something like their their writing voice needs to be similar to yours or they need to understand your writing voice or they're going to change your writing voice. Um, so it's real important that you get somebody that's a fit. And, you know, some editors will, you know, completely rewrite your sentence. Uh, other ones will just go through and check the grammar. You know, you, there's like this huge you know, chasm of differences between them. And you need to find somebody that really meshes with what it is you're looking for. It is a hundred percent a relationship too, as Jay said. Like I, my my editor, it's it's great because my editor knows my writing so well that like we can focus on bigger picture things when she's working on my book. You know, she's really helped me course correct a lot of my bad habits and such. Um, and I did what JD said when I first found her. Like I went on um, Upwork. Is it still called Upwork? It was called something before. Yeah, um, they changed the name. But uh, yeah, I went on Upwork and sent sample chapters to a bunch of people. And, and did it that way and found her and we're still working together like god night however long it's been now it's been like a, a while um and uh, but we we have a great i mean it's a relationship like I, hell i even called her recently to like talk about some stuff with her that's going on in my personal life so like we're we're that close so um yeah so but uh let's see he also asked who this is a big question um <laughs> How do you decide your whip is done and ready to publish? <laughs> that's a that's a rabbit hole question. Uh, I I heard Harlan Coben once a long time ago, and he said when he's at the point where he's just moving commas around, then it's done. Yeah. Um, but you know, painters are the same way. If you ever talk to somebody who, who paints, you know, like they're never really finished with that particular picture. They can always find one more brush stroke, one little thing they want to change. You know, this this or that. But like you get to the point where you're just you know literally moving commas, and th then it's then it's time to go. Um, you know, you get a better sense of that, I think, as you get further and further along. Like I, you know, a lot of times when I'm writing, I know when I turn a wrong corner and like I create a piece that, you know, I know I'm going to have to fix later. Um, you know, sometimes that, you know, will be a red flag. And like, until I go back and fix it, even if it's six months later, like I know that it's still hanging over my head and I got to do it. Um, other times I try to put the book down after I finish writing it, you know, let a little time pass, you know, four, six weeks or whatever, and then go back and read it as a reader. And you'll be surprised how different of a book it is if you, you know, step away from it a little bit. Um, and sometimes I'll find things along you know when I do that 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 need to be fixed but you know when I'm not moving paragraphs around anymore when I don't have questions you know when all the character voices sound the same and I'm you know moving the commas it's time to send it off to the agent if you're self-publishing it's when your editor tells you it's ready <laughs> like I don't I don't think you're a good I don't think we're good uh I don't think we're good at knowing that ourselves especially with self-publishing but like uh I, I I like an editor if they're gonna have their name on it like they want it to be good too uh, and, and so, um, you know, if it goes to the editor and the editor is like, yeah, this is, this is not ready, then, then it's not ready. Well, I, that's going to depend on the editor too. I mean, there's yeah. de developmental editors, there's, you know, ones that are just going to check your grammar. Um, you know, so you need to make like, if, if you need that kind of help, make sure that the editor you're hiring actually does that sort of thing right. too, because you know, a lot of editors, you know, they'll, they'll go through it. They'll, they'll fix all your punctuation and your grammar. They, the story may suck, but they're not going to tell you, you know, unless that's something you actually hired them to tell you. Yeah, I think if for me, I mean, and this kind of goes, I think this is similar to like the, what you said about Harlan Corbin. Like I, I feel like I've done this enough now where I kind of know where my limit is of how many revisions I have in me. Like there's only so many revisions that I know I can do on a book before I'm tapped out and I'm moving commas around. So, uh, I, I kind of just, I have that kind of laid out where it's like, okay, I'm going to do this many revisions before I send it to my editor. And then after I get it from her, I have, I know I have about this many in me. Um, 
And and at that point, and then beyond that, it's just diminishing returns. And that's kind of the way I'm able to tell myself, like, it's done and not to be over perfectionist about it. Well, just to throw one more thing out there, too, like, you know, don't be afraid to put a book aside for a while. You know, I I put books completely aside and written other novels and then come back to it. Um, Give your brain, you know, like if if you think there's something wrong, most likely there probably is or somebody's telling you something's wrong. If you're not quite sure how to fix that, you know, you can sit there and pull your hair out trying to to come up with the answer. Um, But I mean, in most cases, I find it's easier just to put the book aside, you know, work on something else. And that answer just kind of pops up into your in your head, you know, when, when you're not thinking about it. You know, that's so that, that's another thing to, to give a try. So we'll hit his last question here um, and then we got a few more. Uh, how does a new author determine who their target reader is? Hmm. That's another rabbit hole question. That's a genre <laughs> question. It is kind of. Yeah. Like, I think you you need to know what your genre is. Like you need to. Are you writing a mainstream thriller? Are you writing a, a niche down um you know, subgenre. Like I think it's all depends on, on the genre. And if, if you're not sure what the genre that you're writing is, that's the bigger problem than your target reader. Yeah. You know, I, I, when I mentored students, I got a lot of people that thought their genre or their style was one thing. And then I would read their book and kind of point out, no, it's actually this, you know, like they, they really wanted to write thrillers, but they were writing this instead you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, you know, and, and when you're working on a first novel, you know, every, everybody is kind of there. You don't necessarily know what it is you want to write at that point because, you, you know, most people tend to emulate whatever it is they read. Like, that's what they want to create. But it may not be the story that's actually in their head that needs to get out. Um, you know, so sometimes you just have to work at it for a little while. But, yeah, before you, you know, before you're finished with anything, like, all, the, all those questions need to come to light. You need to understand exactly what you're writing. That's one of the reasons why I always tell people, you know, before they write the first page of that book, write the tagline for the book. Write the back of book blurb for it, you know, so you've got those 250 words telling you what that book is going to be about. Um, you know, that, that's going to help keep you on, on track. You're going to have a lot easier time if you know the genre beforehand, then just write a book that could be a mishmash and try to figure out who your reader is after. It's a lot easier if you know going in, you can write to a specific person. Well, I've had so many people, you know, like uh, they'll, they'll give me a manuscript and they'll, I'll ask them that with those questions, you know, what, what genre is it? That kind of thing. And, and they're, they'll tell me that, well, it's a mishmash of this and that, and this, it's, it's very different from what you normally read. You know, it's like they, they give me this whole spiel about, you know, why it's not like the, the other stuff that's out there. The problem is you're not going to be able to sell that. Like an, an agent's not going to want it. You know, it's like a hot potato because they don't know how to sell that to the editor. Like if you're not able to describe what it is to somebody else, you can't expect an agent to do it and you can't expect an editor to do it. And if the editor can't do it, he's not gonna be able to tell the marketing people what to do with it. And it's never going to go anywhere. So like you need to answer all those questions ahead of time. Awesome. All right, so let's go to, uh, we'll go to our friend Valerie here, and this is probably a Jay Thorne-specific question. Um, If you provide author services and run an author business, as well as other books, uh, sorry, as well as writing author books, um, what is a good ratio of time spent on either endeavor? It's kind of an individualized question. It it is, um, and I I think what we all want is, like, we want to know, okay, I need to be spending 60 minutes on this project and 40 minutes on this project, but it doesn't work that way. No. Um, my best advice to Valerie and anyone who's in a position where they're splitting their time between writing fiction and doing anything else that brings in revenue, whether that's an author business or real estate development or coaching or a day job, whatever it happens to be, I try to be very opportunistic. So you know, there are moment, there have been moments over the past couple of years where 
I, I was working on a fiction project nonstop every day for weeks. And then there are other times where I don't write a word of fiction for weeks because there's something else has come up and I'm focused on that. So like the, um, the carbon all is a great example. Like I, I, that wasn't on my plan. Like I wasn't, you know, I, I, I didn't, uh, that wasn't in my writing plan for the year. That opportunity came up. I decided to take it. And then I, I had a very tight window. And so I focused, and that's all I did was work on that for a period of weeks. So I, I think you have to be very attuned to what the opportunities are and you have to be flexible enough to then shift towards them when they open up. Nice. Any thoughts on that, JD? Or we can just go to the uh, next no, one. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like my, like my wife handles all of our real estate stuff. So like we kind of have all these things divvied up. You know, yeah. I, I wish I could mentor more. Like I, I love doing that. Um, and that was a big part of my life before. And like it kind of helps me recharge my batteries. But, you know, and I've had to put that aside in order to focus on my own writing. And I kind of miss doing that. Um, but yeah, I think you just have to chase whatever, whatever is working, whatever is, you know, filling the bank accounts up and, you know, whatever makes you happy and just kind of go with it. So we got a couple more here. We'll get to, uh, Kim Barton has a question specifically for me. So, um, uh, so for Zach, you've mentioned that the past two or three years have been your most successful. Um, what are you doing to reach readers? How many books do you have out now? Um, so, so I think for me, I think a lot of it is just, uh, the, my, um, my time that I've put into this is starting to just, um, is helping out a lot. And I know that's not the answer people want to hear, but, um, you know, I, for a long time, I've just built the steady readership because I've been steadily putting books out and, you know, that's, and, and that readership just continues to grow. You know, I'm, I know what she's kind of getting out here because she knows that I don't use social media, um, and you know, most of my reaching readers is through, uh, you know, CTAs in the back of my books. Um, you know, so it's getting people to read through, sign up for my mailing list, uh, you know, running ads, doing mailing list swaps with other authors. Like those are the lot of things I'm doing to reach readers. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, but Jay and I, we were talking about this. Uh, I don't remember where we were. I guess it was in New Orleans. Maybe we were talking about how we've kind of gotten to a point where uh, I, I don't, I, I'm getting at a loss for words, but uh, you know, basically where you get to a point where, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's like, it's really, really hard to like make your first thousand dollars or find your first thousand people for your, or hundred people for your mailing list. But you reach a certain point where like that starts to increase a lot faster. Um, uh, Jay, I'll let you, uh, uh, Jay, what were you going to say about that? Yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And yes. you're talking about getting that flywheel going, right? So It's that, like compound interest. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and it's yeah. not linear, right? It, it, no. it can, it's, it's mostly exponential. I'm sure JD has seen the same thing. Like, um, you're, all three of us um, are in this for the long haul. Like, we're, this yes. is the long tail, right? And so what that means is you do the same thing over and over and over yep. and you keep doing it and you keep doing it and at first it feels like nothing's happening for years it can look like nothing's happening and then all of a sudden people are finding you all of a sudden you've got a back catalog of 15 books now um it is just a slow steady process of showing up and doing the work day after day and actually the the analogy i made to investing is probably pretty apt it's like dollar cost like, averaging with your time yeah, you're you when you you know you start out like I when I start my IRA started out it basically had nothing in it. I had to put a little bit in, keep adding to it, 
keep adding to it, you know, adding in index funds, whatever, go up and down, you know, but you get compound interest and it grows and grows and grows and grows. And, you know, to answer the last part of her question, like I have around 35 books out. So, um, so at that point, yeah, it, I have a bigger backlist to sell. Um, and every time I put a book out, like it just grows a little more and more. And it's like Jay said, this is a, it's a long-term thing. So like I plan on writing books and publishing for a very long time. So, um, yeah, JD. Well, Gail, uh, Gillian Flynn touched on it last, last week. You know, she yeah. said that e- each book she put out, she just hoped to sell a little bit more than the last one. And that, that's yep. kind of where you want to be because l- like you just said, it, it's an exponential growth thing. Um, you know, like I, I, I'm in more countries now than I, I can even count. And like, and I get, you know, offers now from places that I've never heard of, but like that wasn't the case before. You know, I was excited to be in the U S and the UK and then it was really neat to be in France and then Germany and then Netherlands and then Spain. And like it just exponentially, as you get more books out there, your audience starts to grow and you know, it, it branches out in, in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, it's, and that's all you can really hope for. All right. So we'll get one more in here. I told my buddy here, I would sneak this one in if we had time. So, um, but, and, and we've, we've answered this question before, um, like similar, but I, I'll, I'll add some context at the end. So, um, from, uh, our former, former guest of the show, actually T.W. Piper Brook, um, he says, what are the first, this is for you, JD. Um, what are the first steps for a, uh, indie author who's looking to branch out into the trad pub world? Um, what are the, what are the things that traditional publishers would be looking for in terms of platform and prior sales? And, uh, just to give a little bit of context, like, you know, he has, he has a lot of books out. He has a, a, a sizable mailing list. Um, and I, and I know he's interested in like being hybrid. Uh, so like he's not starting from scratch. He's been doing, he's been full time since like 2014 or 15 or something. So, um, but, uh, I don't know. So like with that context, like what would you say to Tyler? Well, I, I know when I first sold like fourth monkey, you know, like every time I had a phone call with one of the publishers, when we were trying to, to find somebody for that book, you know, the, their second thing that they would bring up, you know, first they would tell me how much they liked the book, you know, cause they're, they're kind of obligated to say that. And then they would ask what my social media presence was like, and they wanted me to rattle off how many followers I had on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram and you know, all those other things right now. I don't think they care. I think they finally come around and realize that that doesn't really sell books. Um, like your physical presence doesn't on, on social media, I don't think really sells books. The amount of people talking about your books on social media that sells books. The problem is you can't directly influence that all. The only way you can control that is by writing a good book that people want to talk about. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with social media. Um, you do need to track everything, um, you know, somehow, whether it, it's spreadsheets and I know there's services now that can do this, but you need to get a really good handle on what your sales numbers are like, um, because that's the real deciding factor. I think at this point you, you need to be able to walk into, you need to be able to walk into that publisher's you know, conference room, put a spreadsheet down on the table or up on your little PowerPoint and say, okay, this is where I was four years ago. This is where I'm at now. You know, this is where I'm projected to be in another four years. You, you are a business. You're, you've got a widget that they want to sell. The, the problem with that though is, you know, at, at the point where you've got, the, got, when you have those types of stats, you don't necessarily need them anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, because you, you know, for me, I got lucky, you know, I got, I got a nice big payday at the beginning of the career and that allowed me to, to write and kind of, you know, create that, that base beneath me. Um, but you know, a lot of people, you know, especially if you start off in the indie world, you get five, 10, 15 novels behind you. You've got strong sales numbers. You don't need a traditional publisher anymore unless you want to try something different, unless you want to get your yeah. books into a, you know, into the bookstore. Um, or, you know, even the foreign deals, like a, a lot of those people, like they still want to see an agent. Um, you know, they still kind of want to follow that, that, that route. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, just kind of track your stats. I mean, like for me, it's it's a give and take. Like when I write a book, I know I can make more money selling it as an indie author at this point. But at the same time, I know if I hand it off to my agent and I allow them to farm it out to you know to all the different foreign publishers, you know, in the long run, that's going to make my audience a lot bigger, I think, than the, the market that I can attack. As an indie author, I think I can hit the market that I'm already exposed to that knows me. But it's still very difficult to break out into a new market, particularly in, in foreign countries, with without following that that model. Um, so all of it kind of feeds. It itself it all it all works off each other um if you can get into the hybrid model which is what i try to do as much as possible i think that is the the, the answer because you're kind of taking advantage of the best of all those different worlds nice good answer all right well thank you to all our patrons for asking questions we definitely definitely appreciate it and uh jay i'm gonna take your job this week jd who do we have next week I honestly forgot to look. <laughs> the I one can, time. I can handle it. Uh, we right. got Alyssa Sussman up next week. And then uh, a few more coming up uh, to be aware of. Uh, we got Carter Wilson and uh, James Rollins is returning to the show after, uh, after a few years. So, um, yeah, that's what's coming up next. All right. Well, to our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.